major. I definitely think it's going to be the next big thing. Liquid Mountaineering is actually a Oog's brainchild. New sport was not existing before. You have to run very fast on the water. I mean, obviously the first step is the most important one. When we like discovered, oh my God, Jesus, we're going one step, we're going two steps, we're going three steps. We're discovering it as we go along. While we're still on land, we try to get up really speed. Soon we, we touch the water, we try to get like, like a sewing machine. It's not straight into the water, you know, in a curve, in a slight curve. And by that bend, you're actually not allowing yourself to sink into the water and you want to keep that skimming sensation going as long as you can. What gets us those extra steps are these shoes. The, the original equipment where it first all started was the equipment that would help repel water. So we found some shoes by mistake actually. Totally water repellent. Looks like water off a duck's back. It takes actually a lot of practice, a lot of focus. I think if you don't actually believe that you're going to walk on that water, it's not going to happen for you.
Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Did you guys enjoy those clips? Pretty funny. Those of you who know me know I, I like Tiger Woods. I think he was an amazing golfer there, but that's a funny little clip. That first one I stumbled upon, liquid mountaineering. It's an interesting thing. Interesting. So I was, I was thinking, you know, we should try it out. Maybe this afternoon, it's supposed to be nice outside. We could go over to Sloan's Lake. Try it on Sloan's Lake, and we just make sure we're curving as we run into the water. Matters. Grace, Grace said she'll be there if you want to join her for sure. She said she'll be there. We went out yesterday and bought her some of those 100% water repellent shoes, so I think that that makes all the difference. But uh, and then for those of you golfers out there, Tiger, I wish that was possible. <laughs> I could have used that a lot in the tournament I played in a couple weeks ago. I was in the water a lot, so it would have it would have been nice to be able to walk out there and just sink it like he did. If you couldn't tell, he did he did make that chip by the way. It went in the hole. So he is that good, <laughs> as, as the video says there. But it's amazing to think. You see this stuff all over the place. You see clips. You see movies. You see different things imitating walking on water. It's something that people truly see as a miracle. They see as something that's above and beyond. Tiger's a miracle because he can walk on water and he's that good. Um, these guys trying to go out there, obviously they're running on some platform out into the water because if you try that, it's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to be able to run that far out there. But they try it and they, they make it a thing. It's still a miracle, something that they think is a miracle. We even have a saying in our culture today. And we say, well, don't you just walk on water if you do something amazing, if you do something really cool. That saying's out there. People say that. I don't know if you hear it that much anymore, but it's definitely a saying that people use. It's an amazing miracle, but it's only one of a couple of a couple in this verses we're going to look at this morning. And, and you're kind of going, huh, there's another miracle in here, and there is. There's another miracle, not just walking on water, that we're going to look at this morning. So again, we're going to try and unpack this miracle of walking on water to get a better idea of how it happened, where it happened, and, and, and when it happened nearly 2,000 years ago that makes it so amazing. We're going to take a look at some applications of the miracle that we can apply to our lives today. But before we do all that, let's just pray together and ask God to bless our time here this morning. Well, God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for bringing each one of us here. God, we thank you that you want to speak to our hearts this morning. God, we thank you for the miracle that you had Jesus do nearly 2,000 years ago of walking on water out to the disciples in the boats. And God, we just really pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, you would help us to understand it better this morning. God, that we could walk away from here with applications. God, that maybe we've never thought about, we've never dug in deeper to this miracle to think about before. God, applications that can change our lives. God, we just really pray that you would help us this morning to be quiet before you. God, that we would listen to your heart this morning on what you want to speak into our lives. Help us, God. Help us focus on you here for the next 25, 30 minutes. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump in and, and read about Jesus walking on the water. And it's in John 6. If you have a Bible, there's some either in the pockets in front of you, on the floor, on chairs around. If you need one, anybody need one? Everybody got a Bible? Everybody got one? All right. It's on page 1056. Turn now, we'll read it together. And then we're also going to read out of Matthew. We're going to read the same story, get a little different perspective on it. So again, we're going to read John 6, and we're going to start in verse 15, and we're going to read through 26. So John 6:15 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. 
Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So like I said, now we're going to flip over, flip over to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at the same story, but I think it gives us just a little bit more clarity. And another point that I want to make about this miracle. So it's page 970, Matthew 14. We're going to read verses 22 through 36 together. Verse 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. All right, some good verses there. Let's dig in a little bit deeper and see what we can learn, see what we can learn about it. But we're going to start off, like we did when I taught a couple weeks ago, with the context. We're going to start off with the context of these couple stories. And the context of when. When did this happen? This happened the night right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Rich shared last week about Jesus and the disciples feeding 5,000. This happens the night right after that. And it happens between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And you go, how do you know that exact time? Well, we'll, we'll figure that out as we look through it here. So we see from the first couple of verses that we read that this miracle happened on the night, and that um, and in verse 14 in Matthew 14:25 says that Jesus went out to them during the fourth watch of the night. Now, for those of you who are like me, fourth watch—what does that mean? We don't talk in watches during the night. So let's figure out what it actually means. The night was broken down into four watches. There's four watches during the night. The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Second watch from 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch from midnight to 3 a.m. And then the fourth watch was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So that gives us an idea. It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. because he said it happened during the fourth watch. That gives us an idea also, if you think about that, okay, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., but it said that the disciples left in the evening. So it gives us a pretty good idea of how long they've been out on the water, how long they've been rowing, how long they've been out there. Approximately six to eight hours, somewhere in there, if you think about it. They left in the evening sun goes down, who knows when, I didn't like figure out the sun, you know, calendars and all that stuff, figure out when sunset was at this exact time, I, I don't know that, but it got dark at night just like it does here, and so sometime in there, 9 p.m., they left, 7 to 9, somewhere in there, so 6 to 8 hours, they were out on the water rowing before, before they saw Jesus come to them walking on the water. 
couple weeks ago, pastors and I um, and some of the other leaders went to Indianapolis. So we have a little bit of an idea what it's like to row through the night. We drove through the night to Indianapolis. I drove the first watch. <laughs> I got to drive, actually I drove the first and second watch. So I drove for a while there. And then I got to sleep, but I was tired. <laughs> I was really tired. Anytime you do something through the night, those of you who've driven through the night know you get tired when it's dark outside and when you're working and you're driving. And we weren't rowing. One person was driving. This is a lot easier than rowing, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but um, I, I was out during the fourth watch. I was in and out of consciousness. The only time I woke up is every time we hit the rumble strips and I thought we were going to die. <laughs> so I'm not sure who was driving. It might have been Rich. might have been Alan somewhere. I, I was confused. Those two were driving sometime in, in the night there. We didn't die. I thought we were going to, but we didn't die. But I'm pretty sure they were tired too. So they probably would have been hitting the rumble strips. They probably would have been staying more between, I like to say, staying between the mustard and the mayonnaise, the, the white dotted lines and the yellow line on the side of the road. Got to keep it between there. So they were probably pretty tired. So traveling the night takes a toll. So keep that in mind. These disciples were tired. They'd been fighting these waves. They'd been fighting, rowing, uh, rowing this boat across the lake. So keep that in mind as you think more about it. Now the where. The where. It happened on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him by boat to the other side, is what it says. It says the other side. We get a little bit more information that they went across to Capernaum. So they were going to Capernaum. Now for those of you who aren't walking atlases and don't know exactly what Israel looks like and where the Sea of Galilee is, I have some maps for you. These usually help. <coughs> so, I've got my laser here. There's the Sea of Galilee. This whole area is Israel. Down here, that's the Dead Sea. Jerusalem's right there. So you get an idea, it was in northern Israel, what's today Israel, right up there is the Sea of Galilee. So you get an idea that it's up there. And it says, we see in John 6:19 that they had rowed three or three and a half miles across the lake before Jesus came to them walking on the water. Runners out there, you have a good idea of exactly how long that is because it's a 5K. <laughs> 5K is a little over three miles. That so gives you an idea how far they'd been rowing, fighting the waves across this lake. Sea of Galilee is subject to sudden and violent storms. It happens, winds travel down this river valley, up the top, the Jordan River Valley, and winds blow along that. And so it causes, there's times when there can be really big waves, there can be violent storms, and it can happen quickly. Uh, it isn't safe for small boats to be on the water during that time, and these guys were in a small boat. So it wasn't a safe time for them to be out there rowing away. <clears throat> Another map, the next map. So this is a close-in view. And this is where they were most likely starting at, Bethsaida, and they were traveling across over here. They were going across over here to Capernaum. <coughs> so that gives you a little better idea where they were rowing across there. <coughs> There's also, I have a couple pictures to give you a little idea of what it looks like there if you've never been. This is on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. So that's a, a picture of what they would have seen as they were getting in to the shore there. Obviously, this is in today and not 2,000 years ago, but we don't have pictures from 2,000 years ago, just so you know. <laughs> so those, that's give you a little better idea. You have a better idea of when it happened. You have a better idea of where it was happening. So let's dig a little bit deeper and look into a couple different situations that we see happen throughout this miracle. I think there's three different situations that we're going to look at. And the first one is Jesus by himself. Jesus was by himself at the beginning in both accounts here. And I think a couple things to note right out of the gate that right after Jesus had just done this amazing miracle, he'd fed the 5,000, he multiplied the bread, he multiplied the fish, and fed these 5,000 people sitting on the hillside. This was right after it. And the first thing he did is he withdrew to pray. It says that he withdrew to a mountainside to pray. 
I think that's an amazing and an awesome example for all of us. It's a habit for you to spend time alone praying with God. Is it a habit for you? Do you spend time alone with God praying? You praise Him for awesome things He does. Maybe you're not going out and multiplying bread and fish and feeding 5,000 people, but you're doing some amazing things. Are you praising Him for those things? Are you taking time to do that? Do you seek Him with your challenges that you're facing every day? Or do you try and do it on your own? Are you pouring out your heart to Him? Are you asking Him to bless you? Are you asking Him to help you, to give you strength, to give you courage, to give you wisdom? Are you asking Him those things? I have no doubt that Jesus spent time that evening alone praising God on that mountain, praising Him for the awesome thing that that He just had done. But I also imagine that He was pouring out His heart to God in anguish. Because Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross. Jesus knew that was the ultimate goal. So I imagine he was pouring out his heart in anguish because he knew he was going to be crushed. He knew he was going to be beaten. And he knew that it was going to end in a very, very harsh way. We need to be seeking God daily in prayer. We need to be spending time in prayer just like Jesus did. We need to be praising God. We need to be asking Him. We need to be pouring our hearts out to Him. We need to be asking Him for answers to what's going on and how we can follow Him and follow His will. It's also a picture of Christ and His followers today. We're on the storming sea of life. We're like the disciples. We're out there. We're in the boat. We're working hard. We're rowing away. Things aren't easy. Any of you who think things are easy, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> life is hard. Life is hard. It's challenging. We're on the stormy seas of life and it's dark here. There's a lot of evil around us. Jesus is nowhere to be seen. We can't just see Him. We can't go travel somewhere and see Him. But He's there for us. He's in heaven. He's praying for us. And we need to remember that. We need to know that. He loves us. He cares about us. And He's there for us. We then see that Jesus heads out to the water, walking, heads out to the disciples, walking on the water towards the disciples. Now, this is, this is the first of the two, two miracles that we see. I'm going to tell, tell you another one that maybe you didn't catch, but we'll see another one here a little bit later. Why walk on water? Why do you think He walked on water? Why not just walk really fast around the land? Obviously it was shorter to go across the water, but why not just walk really fast or teleport himself or something cool? Beam me up, Scotty, and, you know, he's there. I, I don't know. Why did he do it? I think he did it as a test for those disciples' faith. He wanted to test them. What better way to test them than to do something impossible in those disciples' minds? To do something impossible. A couple times we see Jesus test the disciples. It seems like every time that the disciples get in a boat and they're on the water, Jesus tests them. It's kind of interesting. So maybe the lesson is, unless you, want to, unless you want to be tested, don't get in the boat and go on the water. <laughs> you think they'd have learned that by now. No, you know what? We'll just walk. We'll walk around. We're good. Because <laughs> we see it. We see it at the beginning of Luke. In Luke chapter 5, he tells Peter, they've been fishing. Peter and his guys have been fishing all day, and they've, caught, they've fished all night, and they've caught nothing. And he tells them, just go out a little deeper. And Peter's like, okay, whatever, you're crazy. We've been doing it all day. There's no fish out here. And they let down their nets, and they catch so many fish that it almost sinks the two boats. They get so many fish. That's one time we see it. We see another test at the end of John, where once again they're in boats. And a man from the shore tells them to cast the nets on the other side. And they're thinking, one side, the other side, fish are in both places. But they do it. And they catch so many fish that they can't even haul the net up into the boat. And then they realize that that man is Jesus on the shore. So he tests them. And here he tests the disciples by walking on the water to them. They'd just seen Jesus multiply all this bread and fish, which I think in all of our minds we'd go, wow. Poof, he's, he's God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He can't, there's no way that he can't be God. That's not possible what he just did. But still, they don't quite get it. They don't quite understand. They don't fully understand who he is. They don't understand that he's God in the flesh. And so what better way 
to, to overcome that doubt in their minds than to overcome the natural elements, to overcome something that no one else can do, to walk on water. It's just not possible. Those of you who like um, the Discovery Channel shows out there, um, Mythbusters, they tried to prove that you could walk on water. It's not possible. I trust those guys. Those guys know everything. I watch the show. <laughs> you cannot walk on water. <laughs> I don't care if you have 100% repellent waterproof shoes. You can't do it. <laughs> it's not possible. It's not physically possible. <clears throat> but he did that to give them more proof. He walked out there. He walked on the water up to the boat as a test to them. So the second situation we see in this whole thing is we see the disciples in the boat. And we learn something about the disciples here. The disciples become afraid. And the first thing they assume when they see someone walking on the water is it's a ghost, right? Why do they assume it's a ghost? Because it's not possible for a human to be walking on the water. It has to be something else. That's their first mind. And they're terrified. We might laugh at them. You might ridicule them and go, didn't they know it was Jesus? Well, we know because we have all these other miracles that we've seen. This guy's Jesus, but they didn't. They didn't know. They didn't know what was going on. They're scared to death. And in their situation, remember we talked, they've been rolling for a long time. They're tired. They know they're not supposed to be out on the water when the weather's like this. They, they're probably thinking, we're going to capsize and we're going to drown. All of us, we're dead. We're done. That's what they're thinking. And then they see someone walking up on the water. And it's, it's just impossible. They can't understand it. It's not working in their head. And this example of their lack of, lack of faith. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus could save them, that Jesus could protect them, that Jesus could walk on water to them. And they're afraid. And it says they're afraid until they hear his wonderful words of comfort when he says, It is I. Do not be afraid. And right then they understand. They know. This is Jesus. This is the guy we've been hanging out with. And literally there, the words, It is I, is I am. He says, I'm Jehovah. I'm God. That's what he tells them. He says, I'm God, do not be afraid. Trust me. How true is this to us? We often are in storm toss, we're perplexed, and Jesus can seem so far away from us at times. We don't understand what's going on, and we seem like we just can't get in touch with Him or be connected with Him. But all the time, He's praying for us. Even when we're in our darkest place, and when he, He's right there, He's right beside us, and we need to remember that. We can even mistake Him sometimes for a ghost or something else, something else that's happening around us, whatever it may be like the disciples did, until we hear His comforting voice. And then we remember that the waves that caused the trouble that we're in, He's in control of all of it. He's in control of those waves. He can walk on the water. He can do amazing things. The third situation we see is we see Peter with Jesus on the water. And this is kind of a fun one, kind of an interesting one. And we see something that, that we often do in Peter. Peter says in, in Matthew fourteen twenty eight. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. What's Peter doing? What's Peter doing there? He's, he's asking for proof. He wants proof. He wants to know that this just isn't a ghost. He wants to know that this is real. <laughs> I'm not just hallucinating. This is Jesus. If I can walk on water, I'll believe. I'll know that this is truly Jesus. Have you ever attached a request like that to any of your prayer requests? Things that you ask God for? Do you say, God, if you're there, give me the money I need to pay rent. Or, God, I know you're there, but help me to know that by healing my friend. Heal my friend. Prove to me that you're there. We want proof. And all that means is we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. What's encouraging here is the response you see from Jesus in Matthew fourteen twenty nine. He just says, come. Peter questioned and wanted proof, but he had great trust in Jesus that Jesus could do whatever he ordered. Jesus could do anything. We see that Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, bad Peter, bad boy, what are you doing? He doesn't think it's impulsive. He doesn't think it's rash. He doesn't call him out on any of that stuff. Instead, Jesus just tells him to come. He wants Peter to truly understand who he is. 
He wants to prove to him beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's God in the flesh. What's rash here in this whole situation is when Peter forgets where his success comes from. His success from walking on the water came from Jesus. He starts to look at the circumstances around him. And he goes, I'm standing on water and the wind's blowing really hard and we're all going to die. His mind jumps right back to that. In Matthew 14.30 it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He took his eyes off Jesus and he started to worry about the wind and the waves and everything around him. And he started to sink. That's when he started to sink. We can have the same kind of attitude in our walks with God. We can be doing something great for God's kingdom. We can be working hard for Him. And everything's okay until we start thinking about it. Until we start analyzing it and overthinking it and wondering, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Who's going to take care of this? However am I going to do that? I'm not that person. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I can't do that. And when we start doing those things, we start thinking about it. We start thinking about it in our own strength. What can I do in my strength? How can I do it? And our faith starts to dwindle. Then we start sinking just like Peter did. We start sinking. Water starts lapping over our heads and we're trying to keep our heads above water and breathe. But we can't because we're so focused on the circumstances we forget to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus is with us and without Him we can't accomplish anything. Without Jesus we can't accomplish anything for His kingdom. We have to keep our eyes on Him. We can't worry about the circumstances around us, no matter how dire they may seem, no matter how hard, no matter how challenging the situation may seem, Jesus can overcome all of them. We have to remember that. But the only way He can do that is if we're focused on Him and we're connecting with Him. It's encouraging to see that all Peter had to do when he started thinking was to cry out three simple words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. You don't have to have an eloquent, amazing prayer that's 40 sentences long for Jesus to hear you. He hears you. You just need to cry out to Him in such a simple way as, Lord, save me. It's the same for us. We don't, have to, we don't have to be elaborate. Remember that. We don't have to be elaborate and asking Him for help. We just need to cry out to Him. We need to cry out to Him with all that we are, and He'll help us. We then see that Jesus gently rebuked Peter because of his little faith, but He helped him back into the boat. Peter's lack of faith, or doubt, is what it ended up being. Doubt was his problem. When circumstances are overwhelming, it seems, there is, it seems we think they're overwhelming because of what? Because of our doubt that we can do it. Because of our doubt that Jesus is going to come through. If we aren't fully trusting God, how can we overcome the circumstances? How can we? If we were truly, we wouldn't have a doubt in our mind. There would be absolutely no doubt. We would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going where Jesus says and I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to get sucked down by these circumstances, by these things that I just don't see a way out of. We need to have the attitude that God can do anything and we will never find ourselves in a sinking situation. If you know that He can overcome everything, you'll never find yourself sinking in any situation. Here's where we see the second miracle. And this one's kind of cool. Maybe you missed it. But if you read John 6.21 again, it says, Then they were willing to take Him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They're in a time warp boat. (laughs) They are somewhere in the middle of the water and as soon as Jesus climbs in, boom, they're there. Kind of amazing. I, I hadn't really thought about it until I read it deeper, but you, there's really two miracles wrapped in this one. They got to the other side. They were halfway there. But why? It's interesting to think about why. Why did they immediately get to the other side? In my mind, it seems like the whole thing was a test. The whole thing was a test for these disciples to trust Him. And once they learned the test, you, you see there that they worshipped Him, that He's the Son of God, they were at the other side. He took them out of the rough circumstances. 
they were instantly there. They didn't have to fight for another four hours, you know, through hard, rush, rough circumstances. They were there, and they were at peace. And that's, that's really cool to think about, to trust that in. So a couple applications I want you to look at. A couple applications from this. first one is absence of faith in Jesus Christ brings failure every time. Every time. We can see it throughout the Bible. Anytime someone doesn't have faith in Jesus, they fail. The instance that Peter started to doubt and got caught up in the circumstances around him, he started to sink and he failed. If, you were, if you're here today and you're trying to take on this world by yourself and you don't have a relationship, you haven't personally put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to warn you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. We cannot and we will not prevail over evil in this world if we're trying to do it on our own. If we're taking on this world by ourselves, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Only when you put your faith in Jesus Christ can you prevail. And can you have a hope? And can you have a future? And can you have uh, something to look forward to? If you don't, you're in trouble. You need to find Jesus. You need to have that personal relationship with Him. The second thing you can see is that Jesus has power over the natural elements. Jesus walked on water. Need I say more? <laughs> if any of you think you can walk on water, I will. I'll be at Stones Lake this afternoon. <laughs> I want to watch you. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. <laughs> I laughed the whole time. Those guys are running in the water and just like obviously they're running off some ramp, and as soon as they hit the end, they fell flat on their face and into the water. But it's not possible. It's not possible unless you can command the natural elements like Jesus can. Third thing you learn is that Jesus sends us into storms to strengthen our faith. He sends us into storms. He sent the disciples into the storm. He didn't try and stop them. He sent them into the storm knowing exactly what was going to happen. Have you ever said to yourself, why me? Why me? Why me in this situation? Why me? Why not someone else? Well, here's the answer. Instead of sulking and having a bad attitude when you come up against a storm in life, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Him and instead ask the question, what do you want me to grow in because of this? How can I grow? in my walk with you because of this circumstance? Ask that question instead. With that attitude, your faith in Christ will grow. And you'll take another step closer to being more like Him. You'll grow in some way or another. That's what all these storms are for. Jesus has a test. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to keep our eyes on Him. He wants us to grow because of circumstances and tests around us. The next one is there is no success in works without faith. And we saw this last week um, when they tried to feed the 5,000. No matter how hard they would have worked with those couple loaves and fish, I don't care how small they cut it up, they wouldn't have been able to cut it up small enough to feed them all. It wasn't possible by working hard that they were going to accomplish this. They had to have faith. Those disciples had to have faith that God was going to do a miracle, that He was going to do something amazing and blow them away. See the same thing here this week. No matter how hard they rode, no matter what would have happened, they wouldn't have made it to the other side without trusting Jesus and believing in Him that He was going to protect them, that He was going to be there with them. Just like those guys in the clip this morning, Peter wouldn't have been able to walk on water if he didn't have faith in Jesus. It wouldn't have been possible. He'd have stepped out of the boat and fell in. (laughs) Just like any of us stepping out of a boat would fall in. He wouldn't have been able to do it if he didn't have faith in Jesus Christ. You must not get focused on doing great works for God. That's not the goal. That will happen if we focus on keeping our faith in Him. If we focus on growing in our faith in Him, great things will happen. And God will use us to do great things. If we're really trusting in Him, we're growing our faith in Him. The next thing we see is that self-confidence is dangerous. Self-confidence is dangerous. Anytime that we become confident in ourselves, that we start looking to ourselves, our own abilities, we're stepping into dangerous territory. 
just as Peter did, he, he got out there and he got a little confident. He got, I can do this. <laughs> I can walk on water. And then what happened? He started seeing the circumstances and things started to happen and he started to sink. He took his eyes off Jesus. And we'll fail if we take our eyes off Jesus. We're not strong enough or smart enough or eloquent enough or whatever it may be to get through this life on our own. We're not. We're not. We may think we are sometimes, but that's pride. Someday that attitude will send you hurling back to earth and you'll realize that without Christ, you're absolutely nothing. Without Christ, we're nothing. We're nothing. The last thing we can see is that we need to believe. In Matthew 14.33, it says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The disciples grew in their faith in Jesus after seeing that miracle. They grew. They called Him the Son of God. They realized that the right response for them was to believe that He was the Son of God. And that's the right response for us as well, is to believe. This miracle was glorious and amazing, just like other ones we've looked at. Every miracle has been glorious and amazing that we've looked at over the last month. But it only builds up to what is most important. And that's the, the most important glorious work of Christ, which was His death and resurrection which is the basis of a genuine saving faith. That's what we base our faith on, is Him dying on the cross. And we're heading to that. We're going to get to that. Keep coming back. A couple more weeks, we're going to be there. I mentioned this several weeks ago when I kicked off a series, but we have looked at all of those. And I remember saying this a month ago. We looked at those that Jesus performed, and each one of us, each one of those things, each one of these miracles that's done is meant to grow our faith. It's meant to help us understand a clearer picture of who Jesus is and who, who God is. If you've never put your full trust in Christ, I encourage you, talk to someone today. Talk to someone who brought you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come talk to me afterwards. I would love to talk to you. I would love to share with you why you should believe in Jesus. It's a life-changing decision. It's life-changing. And a decision that you'll never regret making. You'll never regret it. If you still aren't convinced, again, come back. Come back. We want you to believe. All of us here love you. We want you to believe. We want you to have eternal life. We want you to spend eternity in heaven with us. Come back. Come back. Each one of these miracles proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is the Messiah, that He's the Lord and Savior, that He has power over this earth. He has power over the natural elements, the water, whatever it is. He changed water to wine. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He has power. And He was put to death on the cross for each and every one of us. He was. He was put on to death on the cross for each one of us. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank You for this morning. God, we thank You for this amazing, amazing, amazing miracle. God, of You just having power over the elements and walking out to the disciples to grow them. To grow them in faith. God, I pray that You help us to see every situation in our life. These circumstances, these rough waters, these storms that we're going through. God, help us to keep our eyes on You. Help us to realize that you are there even when it seems like you're far away. God, you're right there. You're listening to us. You're listening to our prayers. God, help us to seek you in prayer. Help us to just pour out prayers when we're stuck in that situation. Help us to cry out, Lord, save me. Help us to do that. Help us not to rely on our own strength. God, if we start relying on our own strength and our own wisdom and things that we have in ourselves, God, we're in trouble. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. God, but the good thing is, is you're there. Just like you were for Peter. God, you will pick us up. You will help us. You will encourage us. You will help us get back in the boat and get moving where you want us to go. But God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. It's so easy today with so much distraction, so many things around us to take our eyes off you. God, help that not be true of us. Help that not be true of us here. 
God, help us to keep our eyes on you all the time, focused on you and going where you want us to go, not where we think we should go. And we just thank you and pray that you would bless the rest of our day, bless our weekend. God, we pray that you would just continue to speak to our hearts today, continue to speak to our hearts this week and next week as we come back here again. God, we thank you and praise you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thanks for coming this morning. I'm glad to see some of you guys made it. I know I was talking to Brad earlier. It's kind of a small group this morning, but I'm glad you're here. So have a great rest of your day. Have a good day tomorrow. Don't shoot off too many fireworks, and we'll see you next week.